This podcast was recorded on Aboriginal land, the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to the elders past and present. Hello, this is Penny here. Just before we get started today with our episode of In Those Days, I wanted to talk to you about something that's going on with Trove and State Library Victoria at the moment. I think Trove's digitised newspapers are so extensive that sometimes I almost forget that it's actually not exhaustive. There are still major newspapers that haven't been digitised, and one of those is the Sun News Pictorial. And State Library Victoria wanted to digitise this paper from 1922 to 1954, And they've got an appeal for donations at the moment, and that's called Save Our Stories. So why is Sun News Pictorial important? It was one of the first papers to include a significant number of photos. Uh, It reported on smaller local community events, and it was one of the most read papers in its time. So at the moment, State Library of Victoria has um, this paper in hard copy and a microfilm, and that is really great for preserving the content for the future, but it's not so good for access now. Uh, Firstly, people have to go into the library to access the microfilm or the hard copies, but actually it would just be the microfilm. And then that is very time-consuming to go through, particularly if you don't know exactly what you're looking for. And unlike when something's digitised in Trove with the text generated from optical character recognition, you can't search the text easily when it's in microfilm. When Sun News Pictorial is digitised, we'll be able to find photos and information um, on all kinds of things that people haven't seen before. And I think it's very possible that we'll find pictures and information on topics that we've already talked about on this podcast. If you are interested in this um, and maybe would like to support the campaign, you can go to State Library Victoria's website and find out more about it. I'll put um, the link in the notes on the website for the show. Hello, Christina. Hi, Penny. It's very exciting to be here today because we've got some other podcasters in here with us. It is very exciting. We have the team from Stamps Aren't Cool, <gasps> um, Jared and Celeste McCulloch. They have the same surname. <gasps> I wonder um, why. Yeah, they're married. Oh, not brother and sister. Okay, <laughs> not like the many tangy guests yeah. we've had, had on board. <laughs> it's very amazing to have a couple of people here who I'm not related to and I didn't go to school with. <laughs> so it's very brave of me, to be honest. But Jared is a comedian and a writer. And one of the reasons we have him here today is because he's also a philatelist, which is actually not as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> oh. It's a bit rough. <laughs> well, when I hear philatelist, uh, uh, yeah, I thought it meant something different the first time. <laughs> I felt a little bit unsafe when I heard that. <laughs> but it's actually stamp collecting, which is why they then have a podcast called Stamps Aren't Cool, because Celeste works in television in audio. And are you a stamp collector? Absolutely not. No. Yeah. <laughs> not into the old sound. Not into it at all. <laughs> and so Christina and I have known Jared for a number of years because we used to do comedy and then more recently I worked for Jared at uh, Hard Quiz. Nice. He was my boss. <laughs> I'd like to say worked with Jared. <laughs> it was a collaborative. Especially the way they boss me around at Hard Quiz. <laughs> I get no respect. So do you want to explain 
I've talked a little bit about it, but what's your podcast? What's the principle behind it? Well, it's sort, it starts with me being a stamp collector. And by that, I mean, I was mad when I was a kid and then forgot about it for 20 years. And then <laughs> sort of heading into my 30s, I got back into it. And it was a little bit of a more of a grown-up intellectual pursuit. It kind of got its nails under my skin again and, and I got back into it. What was the ca- catalyst for that? Like, did something happen? Did you yes. get a letter? Yes. So <laughs> did you break both your legs? <laughs> there was a very obvious catalyst, which was eBay started. And as a kid, ah. I used to think, oh, I want to own all the Australian stamps ever. And I was never going to be able to afford <laughs> that. And then as I was exploring eBay with uh, a grown-up income and maybe a grown-up bit too much time on my hands, I sort of thought, oh, there's some of those old stamps that I never had. So <laughs> I bought one and then I bought another one. And that, I don't know, maybe That's I bought a magazine up. or something and, and it started. And then I kind of rediscovered a lot of what I loved originally as a kid. Plus, I discovered other things that I like now as a grown-up too. Yeah. So, One of the interesting things that you said on your podcast, Jared, that made me think about stamps slightly differently, is that, in, and I quote, you said, more broadly speaking, we're interested in the history of people communicating using the postal system. That's right. And I thought, well, that also is a very boring sentence, but I, I get it. <laughs> it sort of gets to what the intellectual appeal is, for yeah. some of us anyway. Like I think stamp collecting, we tend to deride it as people collecting little pictures, which is also cool because I like the pictures. Yeah. But stamps aren't just about the stamps. They're also about the the letters that they're on. And you can look at the history of how people communicate and what needed to be said. And it's it ties into elements of history and politics and all sorts of stuff. So if yeah. you if you have a bit of a, a historical intellectual bent, it can be mm. it can be up your alley. I once went in when I lived in DC. I went to the US Postal Museum. Oh yeah, I think it's on the mall. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's near the mall. Yeah, yeah, it's near the station. Have you been? Oh, that's right. Yeah, near Union Station. We did go to DC about ten years ago. Did you not go to the Postal Museum? Well, I might have stopped him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always conscious when we're on holiday that Celeste is not a collector <laughs> and we're not here to just do Jerry yeah. things. And there probably are stamps all over the world and anywhere you go, you could go there's with some... a stamp lens if you wanted to. Yeah, that's right. I don't want people to think that we go off on holiday overseas every single year, but we did also just go to France and there were one or two little stampy activities. <laughs> but but when we were in DC, we hadn't gone to the Postal Museum, but it was right next door to the big uh, Union Railway Station. Yeah. We got early for our train. We had about an hour to kill and Celeste said, off you go. <laughs> <laughs> Very I, generous. I, I did not come with him. But yeah. <laughs> so I barreled through. I do remember seeing the keys to the mail room from the Titanic. So that was pretty oh, cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, wow. they sort of fished them out of the poor bloke's pocket when they retrieved his body. Oh. <laughs> so, but oh historic. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, but sorry to answer your the original your original question is uh, I was into got back into my stamps recently. I've had a few friends who were podcasting saying you should do a podcast about stamp collecting, and I thought no because I've heard a few and look I'm not. <laughs> I don't know if it's natural material. And then one day Celeste says, she, I think she forgets this, but she, or she denies it. But she <laughs> said, we should do a podcast and you can talk about stamps and I can just mock you. And I thought that's a stamp podcast I would listen to. Because that yep. is an angle, isn't it? So Celeste, you're not into stamps, but have you ever collected anything? I I prefer getting rid of things rather than... <laughs> <laughs> a minimalist. Definitely. Uh, although, ruthless. Yeah, I am a bit ruthless. I, I do kind of collect pot plants at the moment so oh. indoor plants oh but that's but beautiful yeah if you see, can not kill them yeah exactly I, I think lots of people get joy out of that I think even Jared enjoys <laughs> that collection the increased oxygen in the house yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful <laughs> it's for everyone yeah there really is yeah but other than that no I've never been a collector 
and I really, like you said, I'm mm. a minimalist, so it's really difficult to get my head around wanting to accumulate things. It's just not my natural <laughs> state. And my natural state is of a hoarder. And yeah. so that is something that See, Celeste has smacked out of me in the course of our Yeah, good. Marriage. Beautiful balance, though. <laughs> yeah. It works. Yeah. It does. She's been very good stamp-wise. She's given me, well, I've sort of taken over a cupboard and she showed a lot of patience and I've assured her that I'm getting through the cupboard very slowly and whittling <laughs> yeah. my stuff down. Anytime the cupboard threatens to explode beyond the cupboard, that's a sign that I've let let it go too long. <laughs> I'm the same with fabric because I've got these big boxes to put the fabric in. If I can't get the lid on, yeah. <laughs> like I need to just take a break. I thought because of the theme of your podcast, we might talk about stamps and relationships. I looked up in Trove and there really there were quite a few articles about that. Before we do that, I just want to ask, Celeste, do you use Trove much? No, I've never used it before. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't for work, would you? No. <laughs> <laughs> but whereas, Jared, I think you would sometimes for researching quiz questions. It does come in handy for quiz questions. And also over the last 15, 20 years, maybe I've been on a bit of a genealogical bent. So oh my I've God, found yes. some very juicy stuff in Trove relating to my personal circumstances. Murderers. Probably make for a whole other edition. Yeah, wow. literal murderers, yeah. convicts. That's what you want in the, <laughs> yeah. when you're looking in trove. Absolutely, but with your family members. The first article that I wanted to read is titled "Hobbies for Husbands." Oh, and I think well, <laughs> three of us here have have husbands. Mm-hmm. So I think this this will be a for, informative I like that I have for us. To then count and check. <laughs> <laughs> and Christina only got married last year, so mm. her, this is a, this might be mine's still shiny. Really <laughs> good for you, I think. Okay, good. It's from the sixteenth of December, nineteen oh five. So it's a while ago, but I think it's still very very relevant. And it's from the Australian Star. It says, "Advice to girls." An amusing article. Mm. Well, we'll be the judge of that. <laughs> Girls, it is a mistake to suppose it is absolutely necessary to give up being in love directly you are married. Oh. What do we think? Wow, that oh, gives us all hope, doesn't it? Yeah. Real Victorian brutality there, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. Of course, it is hard to love a lord and master as much as the sycophantic slave who told you over and over again that he was entirely unworthy of your affection who said, perhaps on bended knee, that it was incredible to him that so perfect a creature as yourself could possibly care for so worthless a being as he. That's how I proposed. That was basically that- verbatim, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> how beautiful. How did you two meet? We are a comedy festival romance. Hey. So Aww. I was, at the time I was doing a festival show, this is 2004. Yeah. I should stop because I like telling this story, but you can tell it. You you romanticise it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and Celeste was working as a techie at the Melbourne Comedy Festival for some friends of mine, uh, The Pinch, who uh, were a trio of uh, comedians and ne'er-do-wells. It was a professional um, introduction and it remained professional during the course of the Comedy Festival. And then we just stayed in touch because Celeste would like wanted to move, sort of work in TV, so I got her along to follow me around. I was at Rove Live at the time, so she well, she didn't follow me around. She followed the floor manager around and we just stayed in touch to the point where it got awkward and I wasn't sure if it was professional or personal mm-hmm. and there was a comedic <laughs> misunderstanding that resulted in a phone call that where I had to lay my cards on the table and yeah. she pointed out there'd been a misunderstanding, but it was all good to know and we ended up mar- married. <laughs> and you're still in touch. Yes, <laughs> we're still in touch, yeah. Beautiful. Is that accurate? 
That was, I think that was the simplest way he's ever put it. And <laughs> probably because I'm staring straight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, she's, she's made me very good at decluttering. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the article continues. If you are really anxious to remain in love with your husband, even after marriage, it is a wise plan to arrange for him to have a hobby. Right. Now, the rest of the article goes through quite a few different hobbies. Hosting parties is a hobby. <laughs> Golf, chess, etc. Um, I won't read them all out, but um, there was, and the next hobby is kind of relevant to Jared. So it says, to put money into theatrical speculations is a good thing for the husband. Oh. <laughs> It opens his mind and if matters come to a crisis, the fact that he was mixed up with theatrical people (laughs) is certain to produce sympathy for the wife. (laughs) (laughs) Have you found that? Uh, you know what? I, I don't know if that has happened, <laughs> mainly because we probably hang out with the same uh, people. So you're both mixed yeah, up. We're both yeah, mixed we're both up. a bit mixed up mm. in that case. But yeah, they don't really take into account wives having hobbies and interests. I might have a life as well. <laughs> it's hard uh, to believe, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. I'm encouraged by this message, though. Like, middle-aged comedy comeback, here we come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be excited. Jared... Is very funny. I, Thanks for, for pointing that out. It is. <laughs> More like one of my top ever performances was seeing you pretending to be an American at the Hi-Fi bar. Like I still, I remember, it's just so exciting. It was so funny. It was so much fun being in on the joke and then other people weren't. And Celeste can tell you that that character was called Hank Ruby and he was fun. His, his entire modus operandi was to try to get bottled off the stage. <laughs> and when I bump into anyone who was around in those times, mm. it's always Hank Ruby reminiscences. And I came home from what was, well, sadly a funeral, but it was full of people I hadn't seen for a long time. And I came home to Celeste that day and said, I'm pretty sure Hank Ruby's going to be remembered long after <laughs> Jared McCulloch's comedy career. I'll t- I mean, it's nice to be remembered yeah. for anything, really, <laughs> in this game. I should say she rarely gets the chance to show it off, but Celeste is also very funny. And um, I, one of the things that I remember from her days as a techie is that a, a comedian friend of mine said that uh, she had comic timing in her fingers. And uh, if you're a comedian and you've got a techie mm. who needs to do lights and sound, that sort of stuff, getting those sort of yeah, views absolutely. wrong can actually mess up mm. your timing. Yep. But Celeste just got it. And she got it that she got that if the audience was laughing a bit longer than usual at a certain joke, just hold off on the cue for yeah, that split don't be second. Like, That's enough. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Let's wrap that up. So yes, a bit of a double act, I oh, think. Thanks. Some husbands who have taken the precaution to marry wealthy wives write plays. Oh. So I don't know if you've done that. Well, Jared has been wanting to write for a a screenplay, anything, for so long now and all of a sudden I feel really guilty. I might be the reason he hasn't He keeps checking the bank account. It's just not happening. It's not not there yet. He's waiting for rich enough. You can blame me now. (laughs) And it continues... Up to a certain point, much may be said in favour of this hobby. It certainly takes a man away from the home and detains him at bohemian clubs Mm. into the small hours of the morning. Well, I get in trouble for that, but this is saying that's a good thing. No, no, I'm quite grateful. (laughs) (laughs) I love my Tuesday nights to myself. (laughs) When he's off at Stamp Club, that kind of works for me. Stamp Club! (laughs) Bohemian Club, sweetie. (laughs) But a man who has once had a play produced becomes impossible as a conversationalist. (laughs) 
so true. When he is not talking about himself and his works, his anguish becomes painful even for the least sympathetic wife to witness. (laughs) I'm really enjoying that the overall thrust of this article is here's how to get your man out of the house. Yes. It basically is. Yes, absolutely. And then it moves on to why we're here. It says, stamp collecting is not a bad thing in its way. But you will have a pretty poor time if your husband brings philatelists home to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so my next question was, does Jared bring philatelists home for dinner? He has never... I think he's embarrassed of his friends. (laughs) That's how I feel about it. Well, actually, one of the reasons why I wouldn't have literally brought other philatelists home to dinner (laughs) is that it has for a long time it felt like a a solo hobby, and particularly if Mm. you're a younger collector and they are out there, Mm. it's, it's hard to feel like there are others like us. And something that has happened of interest in the last five or so years is um, we've found each other on the internet. Mm. This sounds like it's a – that sounds stupid because it's, the internet's been around for much longer than five mm. years. But it turns out there were lots of younger stamp collectors all feeling like they were the only young stamp collector because if you go looking into the world, it feels like everyone's an old white man. And it's only fairly recently – There's middle-aged white men. Oh, yeah, there are yes. middle-aged white yeah. men. Yeah, I mean, dare I suggest I'm one of them, but – but in this world, I'm also one of the younger ones. That's yeah. a real, it's a real relative thing. <laughs> so um, it's only fairly recently that young people have sort of found ways to connect online and go, oh, it's not actually all white mm. men. It's actually, there's quite a lot of younger women out there collecting mm. stamps too. And, and it's only recently that I've started to meet some of them in person here in Melbourne. So I've like, I've met a, a couple for drinks or stuff. We just haven't. Yes. That's true. You've never brought them home. Yeah. We, don't, we, we haven't gone out. We don't tend to bring our own friends home. We really no, should do that, really. don't we? We've been very antisocial. I think during COVID though, during lockdown, you started having little meetings with them online and just having little bitch sessions about the industry basically. <laughs> which the I stamp th- industry. Yeah, really. Oh, well, yeah, because it is controversies. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, I, I won't take you there in depth, but there's a very traditional world that is very set in its ways and mm. then there's the younger collectors just going, those ways don't work for us anymore. Some of those members of the traditional world don't even know the younger collectors exist. And but there, there are two worlds. It's um, There's a great movie to be made about this one day. Christina, just in terms of um, younger stamp collectors, because you're mm. a teacher, you're mm. in... With young kids all the time, is it? Are the kiddies getting involved in stamp collecting? Um, look, our Pokemon Swap Club is going gangbusters. <laughs> um, that's running three lunch times a week. I haven't. We haven't <laughs> had a demand for a stamp collecting club. Yeah, it's, it's not really a, a stretch to say a lot of kids, school age kids, don't even know what stamps they are. Know. Yeah, they don't come through the post anymore. The younger collectors tend to be in their 20s and 30s mm. once they've sort of seen a bit of the world and maybe yeah. uh, inherited grandpa's collection and gone, what, yeah. what are these things? But mm. luckily some of them stick around. So the article then continues, when three-cornered Cape of Good Hope talk is going on over the walnuts and the wine, oh, it is scarcely worthwhile to pay extra for being present. I'd probably agree with that. Um, <laughs> it, but what is... Jared, what is the three-cornered cape of good hope? The, there's a fairly classic series of stamps from uh, a, a colony that it became part of South Africa mm-hmm. and they were triangular stamps which were somewhat unusual for the day because usually mm. the stamps were square or rectangular. So, yeah, the three-cornered cape of good hopes are very collectible. Yes. question. Squares or rectangles, what other shapes are there? Can we have them? 
Is it allowed? What's happening? There are sometimes there are circles. Mm. Uh, there are there've been plenty of triangles since, and uh, there now that um, we're in a world of die cut st- um, shapes where you can basically are make, we in that world? We are. I in that didn't world. know we were there. So um, all <laughs> sorts of things. <laughs> uh, you can you can now get stamps in the shape of Australia, uh, Tonga. Actually, Do we agree with that. What do you think of it? Uh, I'm a little bit of a traditionalist because yeah. I hate these these those stamps are a world of what appeal and stick stamps. Mm, yeah, and is a lot it of a people stamp say, or a sticker? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not into the stickers because of the waste that goes into the waste paper basket. Plastinated paper doesn't oh, recycle. Yeah, of course. So I'm a I'm a like licky stamp traditionalist, mm. and I've always turned my nose up at the sticker stamps. But yeah. I understand why people buy them when you if you don't like licking the back of stamps or oh, if you've got a I thousand have, of them to do in your job. Yeah, I've never even. Considered considered that whenever I go to the post office, it's not that often to buy stamps anymore, I just get the book, but I should probably. Yeah, you can. And also the usually more interesting ones available if you if you sort of want a licky stamp. Mm. But in answer to your original question, I want to say big up to Tonga, who pioneered banana-shaped and coconut-shaped stamps way oh, back gosh. in like the 1960s. And uh, Sierra Leone put out stamps in the shape of Sierra Leone. I think they were the first to do oh, that wow. little gimmick. Mm. And yeah, New Zealand put out stamps in the shape of rugby jumpers, of course. Oh, a bit and, sad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sorts. really is getting into the sticker range. What, are you going to have like pants as well and a pair of shoes yeah. and you can Someone's mix Someone's probably match? done it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'll finish off this article. This is the end of it. I should hesitate to map out any scheme which would purport to suit all husbands. There are husbands and husbands. So they are different, guys. Oh, I don't know. Bloody same. Yeah. Okay. Some are even worse. Some wear whiskers. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) If your husband wears whiskers, make a point of fastening some straw in them before he leaves for business in the morning. I do not understand this bit. He will not return. Don't advertise for him. They will treat him very kindly where he is. I don't understand it. Does anyone else understand it? Those little little turn-of-the-century jokes are so arcane, aren't they? (laughs) I know. There was probably... Sounds a bit worse or gummage. (laughs) Yeah. There was probably something at the time that it happened. There's probably someone at my stamp club who is old enough to be able to explain that joke to us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It is funny, though, that this morning... I uh, look. It's it's been a long week. There's tram bus replacements on our train line. I've had to get up half an hour earlier. Uh, My chin was a bit scuzzy, and Celeste insisted that I have a shave because, as you said, I was looking scuzzy. So, (laughs) so um, I'm very glad that you made me do that. I mean, I've got some whiskers on, but luckily not enough for Celeste to put straw in. No, (laughs) (laughs) and send you out into the world never to return. Apparently, (laughs) we don't know why. But the next topic that I want to talk to you is about um, about women in stamps. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering what the gender balance is like in the stamp collecting world. I mentioned that split in worlds. His, like, the old people, very, very male, not entirely, but yeah. very male. And, in fact, you still occasionally encounter these attitudes that I hate where even in written in stamp magazines you'll see, and uh, you should squirrel away some money and not tell your wife that you're going to buy oh, these stamps. And I, oh. I hate that language. But stamp dealers are reporting that uh, a real uplift in young people interested in collecting, particularly during mm. COVID, mm. and the majority of those people are female. So it's sort of – it's actually tapped into um, a, a bit of a crafty thing. Mm. Sometimes people buy old worthless stamps and turn them into artworks and that's yep. become yep. quite popular online on Instagram. It's very Insta-friendly, this hobby, and that's mm. where it's finding a bit of life. Well, so. that's quite interesting because this article is actually from January 1935 and it was in the Adelaide Advertiser and it is sort of 
touching on quite a few of those themes. And one of the things that I was thinking of is that, Celeste, that maybe you have been a little bit intimidated by the manly nature and the technical (laughs) nature of the stamp collecting world. Because when you think about stamps, you do just think, oh, wow, you know, it's a very men, men dominated, very, is that the part of the problem? This is true. But as you started that sentence, I started really considering it. And Mostly no. I still yeah. just find it incredibly boring. <laughs> so you're not overwhelmed by little pieces of paper and just not, oh, where do I put them? <laughs> no, well, I know where to put them in the bin. <laughs> I once in uh, while we're in our early days of going out, I came home from some stamp event with a couple of stamps that I'd bought just for fun of polar bears, which she likes. And I said, look at these beautiful polar bear stamps. And she did kind of say, oh, wow, they are really pretty. Mm. You keep them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, this article is basically going to go through all the different ways that women can get involved. And don't, you know, don't be scared. Okay. (laughs) The woman's world. Women philatelists are discriminating collectors. Stamp collecting, which... The uninitiated may regard as a pastime for small boys and invalids. <laughs> I didn't say it. No, um, you just read the word. <laughs> I just searched for an article that said it. Um, <laughs> is rapidly becoming a serious hobby among women. This is not surprising for although women may be as ardent hobbyists as men, economic circumstances often forbid them the pursuit of finer arts which is depressing in a lot of ways. Now, I've got a rude question. Um, How expensive is stamp collecting? That's that's totally a you question. I I don't want to know. It's his hobby. <laughs> it's, it's his happiness. I I wouldn't put a price sti- on it. I could I could answer very simply. If you want to chase the same material that the rich old men want to chase, mm. it's going to get very expensive. But Absolutely. you can. It's really easy to find a little a little niche that you're into that no one else is into. Like I like the Aussie decimals of the 20th century and 1980s, 1970s stamps, and there's not a lot of interest in that. So that's quite cheap. Yeah. I'm pleased to announce, sweetie. <laughs> And what about paraphernalia? Like, do you have to get like special books and little yeah, you tweezers? Do. You, you need your, your tweezers and uh, stock books or albums to keep the stuff in, mm-hmm. and you know, magnifying glasses. That so most of that stuff is a one-off investment. Although if you keep collecting, you're going to keep needing albums. But I have mm. to say, Celeste has become a dab hand at dealing with the old men who sell stamp catalogues when it comes time to buy me st- <laughs> birthday presents. Thank goodness like that. for that paraphernalia. Otherwise, I wouldn't know what to get him for. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, someone, this is another reason why it's good for your husband to have a hobby because then you can think of the present yep. easily. Yeah. Um, mine just does physics. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do? Get him a laser? No, he makes his own. <laughs> Goes on. Philately, however, has no such drawbacks and opens up unlimited avenues of knowledge at a negligible cost. History, architecture and geography are only a few of the lessons to be learned from a study of the coloured scraps of paper in the collector's album, which is kind of what you were saying before. Yeah, taps into other stuff that is actually interesting. Yeah. Women like picturesque type. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> Pretty little things. Like <laughs> I, With your point before, or the article's point before, one thing that I really I love about Jared is that he really does get into things when he wants to know something he'll go he'll deep dive into it and I'm forever I've seen that at work (laughs) (laughs) totally um I'm I'm forever learning from him and this is just another way for him to communicate to me just how 
how smart he is. <laughs> all the, the history and the stories behind the things that he collects, he can really show off what he knows. <laughs> and uh, that's just something I admire about him. So that's one part of the, uh, the hobby that I appreciate, at least coming from him. It's nice of you to say that, especially given that you... That's not always the vibe you give off when I'm yeah. trying to tell you this stuff. <laughs> I don't always feel this way. <laughs> it comes and goes. Comes yes. And we are talking to the lady once upon a time at Hard Quiz, a, a certain model of tractor crossed our radar and I was sceptical at first and then I decided I, it was the Volkswagen, BW, uh, the Volkswagen Beetle of tractors and Celeste has maybe had to take photos <laughs> of me in the country. I hear another word about it. <laughs> <laughs> I spot a Ferguson TE20 I have to, or something closely resembling it. I need the photo. <laughs> but there's, there's something interesting that you tapped on with that last article, which is there is a field of collecting known as thematic collecting or topical subtle differences we don't go, need to go into. But it's where you don't collect on a, on a country or a, a sort of an era, but you, you're looking at what the stamps depict. Like you might pick roses or cows or anything. Mm. It's amazing how many different topics there are. And that is a field that's traditionally been uh, very popular among female collectors. Mm. And... Probably for that reason, it's a field that's been a little bit dismissed by those who have yeah. run the formal exhibitions and the the judging and the the old men. We're talking but about. But I bet other people like it. Well, other people do like it, and also yeah. I have to say this: having said that, first, that that entire attitude is, has very much changed mm. in recent times, and collectors broadly have come to realise the the gender balance or the gender bias there, and have come to realise that also thematic collecting can actually be a, quite a fun way to collect. Mm. And mm. I use fun in a kind of relative sense. So yeah, there is there are issues like what you were saying there about or what the article was saying there about women liking the pretty pictures. Essentially, there's there's a grain of truth in that, but also everybody's starting to realise that we all like the pretty pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, why wouldn't you? I mean, what's an unpretty stamp? Oh, there's some pretty ugly ones. Uh, uh, I could, I could name a, a few. Just a brown or something. I think even in this country we have a bit of a tradition of sort of going, oh, there's some big conference on, let's put the conference logo on a stamp. Oh, uh, just, a it's logo. Just, it's an ad. Yeah. Crap. <laughs> Although some logos can be brilliant. Yes. <laughs> so swings and roundabouts. Yeah. So about women, the article continues, in discussing the increase in the number of women philatelists, a leading Adelaide dealer who has the names of many feminine customers on his mm. books. Oh, that doesn't sound well, creepy they may, may or may not be women, we don't know. Anyway, <laughs> said that women showed excellent qualities as collectors. Generally, they had the right kind of eye for colour an important asset for a stamp collector. And although their fancies turned more to the picturesque type of stamp... Many Damn those fancies. <laughs> Damn those pictures. <laughs> many wisely restricted their collections to specialisation in sets of countries rather than to buying stamps haphazardly from all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> Just screaming hysterically. Yeah. <laughs> that was me as a child. <laughs> exactly. If you were going to collect stamps, Celeste, is there an area, like let's say you had to? If I had to. It's an imposed hobby. Quite. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, you're looking at me with the knowing eyes that it would be duck stamps. Oh. And Jared has, I think you've bought me a few, I don't know where they are. (laughs) (laughs) A few stamps with ducks on them just because they're my favourite animal. That's, that's really all I can think of. You can of. have a beautiful f- duck-themed. Yeah. And again, I'm sorry, it is a, a picture thing or a, 
Uh, <laughs> feminine thing. You don't have to apologise to me. No. You have to apologise. No, to you all women. <laughs> <laughs> I've let you the human race. <laughs> yeah. My imaginary step collection. No, no apologies. We're shaking a fist at the old men of philately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Duck stamps sound exciting. Yeah. There's actually a whole field because in America, they um, the, when you buy your hunting licence, it comes in the form, the receipt is in the form of a duck stamp and they have oh. become really popular to collect. So they make lots of money just by selling these stamps to collectors who have no intention of going and shooting a duck. And there's a oh. there's the swings and roundabouts there as well because beautiful stamps, but let's not ask what, what they're really there for. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, is that what you're interested in, Celeste? <laughs> <laughs> is this really about shooting? About shooting ducks, oh God. It's actually also about raising money for conservation because the strange thing about hunting is they need to make sure the species is preserved oh. so you can hunt some more. So it's all oh. very murky. Oh, it's a circle of... No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the article continues. Several of his customers have excellent collections of Commonwealth stamps and a correspondent from New South Wales has one of the most valuable groups of Australian stamps, including several rare issues of Sydney Views. Some of the earliest and most valuable Australian stamps, by the way, depict convicts landing at Botany Bay. They were issued in 1850 and remained in use for about two years. Are they still valuable, Jared? They are Sydney Views, particularly if you've got ones that are unused or really good condition. Sydney Views are still a thing. And it's called Sydney mm. Views because essentially it depicts a view of Sydney and it's really primitive. It looks like a kid drew it and it really <laughs> does show some convicts getting off, you know, just getting off a boat and sort of yeah. looking around basically. And it's it really, when you think back to the time, it's quite remarkable that they even put convicts on a, on a stamp back then mm. and sort of said, look, this is, this is who we are and this is where we've come from. That is interesting because supposedly for a while we were ashamed of it, but not. Yeah, well, even in the last few years uh, in my family, we decided, or the descendants decided to give a certain pioneer a gravestone because he was lying in an unmarked grave and some of the the old timers didn't want to have his convict heritage mentioned on the gravestone, whereas most of us were like, but that's awesome. And no, so those attitudes were still, still prevail. Mm, And back in those days, they usually just put the queen's head on it because it was all about the queen. So the fact that mm. at the, at that time, I think it's the 1850s, um, that, that they drew a picture of, of some convicts hanging around early Botany Bay, it's really quite remarkable. Yeah. The next head- heading is Echo of SA Aviation History. Sorry, South Australia Aviation History. Airmail stamps form another branch of philately which appeals to women's imagination. Mm. And nowadays, when almost every week some new development is projected or accomplished, the collector who wishes to be up to date in this department has to look lively. (laughs) Right. I don't know. Why? Why did that appeal to the female mind? I have a theory. I'd love to hear it. Oh, they just thought the aviators were hot. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's it. Yeah, there were aviatrixes, as they were called, <laughs> back in the day. And I also think there's something in the aviators were hot thing. They were yeah. rock stars of the time. That might have been part of it. It's hard for us to remember that, but it was a big deal if someone flew from Melbourne to Sydney for the first time. Mm. Like, wow. Yeah, and, and people, like thousands of people come to meet them at the yeah. end. And it was quite common for any aviator to take a sack load of mail on a plane with them. So, uh, and they were, they, yeah, that's what covers. Charles Kingston Smith was doing. I listened yeah. to a podcast about it the other day. And like one of the reasons why apparently he kept doing all these flights was to try and prove that he'd be really good at delivering the mail. Yeah, it was all about, I mean, people just wanted mm. to get news from their relatives faster. And if, uh, if a week in a plane was so much faster than six months by sea or whatever, 
It was a big deal. And those mm. covers are still out there. They often got signed by the pilots or they got they got a special stamp saying this was on Smithy's flight and still very collectible. Oh, so wow. um, you just used a technical term there, Joe. Now, I know what it means because I've listened to your podcast. Uh, you just said covers. Sprung What's back. cover? I try not to do that in conversation, but you caught me out. A cover is really what stamp collectors call an envelope. It's it's oh. whatever's covering the letter. So thank you for calling me out on that. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I personally like covers more than stamps they tell way more of a story because you can see where they came from and where they went and they might have a charles kingsford smith autograph on it (laughs) and that's why you should listen to i think it was episode two that was episode two yeah that's right that was really good the article goes on one of the most treasured possessions in the collection of a woman in england forms an interesting link with aviation history in south australia it is a postcard sent on the experimental flight across st vincent gulf by the late captain harry cutler in August 1919, which I looked up. I couldn't even find Harry Cutler. Anyone who I feel him? like I've known the name, but he, he's, he must have just disappeared into the pantheon mm. of early aviators. <laughs> Not one of the hottest. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was his problem. Too yeah. much of a fuggo. Yeah. <laughs> Stamps fascinated women when men did not bother about them. In 1841, only a year after the issue of stamps, it was advertised in one of the leading London papers that a young lady, being desirous of covering her dressing table with cancelled postage stamps, invited the assistance of strangers in her fanciful project. Uh, so, like you were saying, that she was covering her dressing table. Mm, she was, yeah. Sometimes it's sometimes it's reported as wanting to wallpaper her room, but yeah, that's. Uh, I suspect that story there is more likely. And yeah, so I was like going to mention this to me. actually. It does. <laughs> it does. It sounds like something you'd <laughs> see in 90s, Brunswick Street. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's true. The first she's credited as the first stamp collector, and it was just send me your old stamps because I want to cover my table with it. Or whatever. That's cool. And, and Celeste, this is, is this a good birthday idea for Jared? Wouldn't he love to come home and see his stamp collection? Oh, the, a whole oh, wall. If I just went through it and got the old clag out and yeah. started sticking it on the desk. Look what I've done to your collection. <laughs> yeah. Who do you want? I love you. <laughs> Ta-da. That'd be, that'd be very funny. It grounds for divorce. <laughs> yeah. We're getting to divorce in a minute. Oh, good. <laughs> right. Come full circle. Then. When we finish this article. <laughs> Women and penny postage. It is not, yes, and my name is Penny. I was saying it's all about you, isn't it? Yeah. Penny postage. It is no great exaggeration to say that women were instrumental in the introduction of penny postage because it was a woman's action that convinced Sir Rowland Hill of the great necessity for a revolution in the cost of letter carrying. Many know the story of how he watched a carrier deliver a letter to a servant maid who, after a close scrutiny of the envelope, reluctantly returned it to the bearer, saying she could not afford the fee of one and six, and of how Sir Rowland stepped forward and paid it for her, only to learn that a certain mode of address had told her her lover's message without the necessity of having to pay the fee. Soon after this, penny postage was introduced. Isn't it amazing how women can give men ideas? (laughs) (laughs) like isn't that inspiring it is so inspiring and have you heard that story before jerry is that how stamps i haven't heard that specific story but it is true that it used to be the recipient had to pay so 
You it's could, like in America, if someone calls you, you are paying as well. Is that right? Yeah. Wow, still. Well, that only happened from prison. Oh, well, when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was right. years, yeah. years ago. I don't know if it's still the case. But, yeah. yeah, so I think you could annoy your enemies by sending them a letter from somewhere far away. Mm. And if they didn't know who was sending the letter, they'd pay the postage and then you'd open up the letter and go, ha, sucked yeah. in. But, um, <laughs> so that's – and that was – certainly it was Sir Roland Hill who came up with the idea that of universal mm. penny postage. basically means cost one penny to send a letter anywhere in Britain mm. and you can buy the stamp in advance. Eh? But what's also often forgotten and something that might be interesting to delve into, maybe we should do it on our podcast one day, is – at the time, paper was made by women and they made it out of rags and it was just something that particularly working-class women did in the back, like in the laundry tub. Mm. Oh. They would get rags and they would soak it in, in a certain way with certain, I think, chemicals, probably toxic, who knows, and somehow they would turn that into paper mm-hmm. and it was on some of that paper that the very first of Sir Roland Hill's stamps were printed. And I feel bad that I didn't refresh my memory and I could not tell you the name of of the lady who made the paper that the first stamps were on. But it's always wow. all about, yeah, Roland Hill, sure, he came up with this idea. Mm. But shout out to Mrs. So-and-so who, who made the paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which does sound like a nice hobby too, making paper. <laughs> yeah, it's I probably, mean, not in those days. It would have been, she probably died. From it feels it. like something yeah. that should have come back during lockdown. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn the sourdough, making, <laughs> making paper. <laughs> Next pandemic. Um, <laughs> something to look forward to and plan ahead. Okay, it carries on. There's so many different ways women can be involved in stamps, guys. This is quite mm. extensive. Okay, women commemorated on stamps. Women have not yet distinguished themselves as stamp designers, but they have on several occasions provided the inspiration for stamp faces. Um, now, Jared, have... Do women, are they allowed to design stamps now? I think we let them now. Mm. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, when when the main designer's gone to lunch or something, it's possible that the secretary jumps on the Mm. the computer and Mm. (laughs) knocks up a little design. Yeah. One of her pretty little pictures. No, no. (laughs) Suffice to to say that was an entirely tongue-in-cheek. Women are an integral and very important part of stamp design these days. (laughs) Not just making the paper. No. Um, The head of a country's queen is, of course, invariably reproduced on its stamps. One of the most noticeable instances of a woman's action being honoured in stamps is provided in a special issue of stamps to commemorate the death of Nurse Cavell or Carvel during the Great War. Uh, I think she was on a few different stamps. I looked her up. She was, well, she was executed. She was helping soldiers escape Mm. Belgium. All right. Mm. And to signalise the sufferings of women and children in concentration camps during the Boer War, a special issue of stamps bore a reproduction of the Voortrekker monument erected to their memory. The (laughs) Belgian Congo Uh, has paid a pretty compliment to the work of nurses among the natives there Mm. in an artistic stamp which depicts a nurse weighing a chubby little black baby in the shade oh. of a tropical tree. Oh, wow. That's some vintage reportage yeah. there. Is, uh, there much, are there many racist stamps? Uh, there would be. I mean, the Nazis put out stamps, for example, and it wasn't oh. mostly, I mean, if you look at the imagery, it's not so much. Are you allowed to collect Nazi stamps? Because you're not allowed to collect a lot of... It's interesting. You're not, you certainly, you can at the moment. There's talk of banning Nazi imagery. I mm. think when you read into the laws that they uh, have been passed in some parts of the world, mm. it's usually about it's kind of the promotion and the glorification. I think for the most part, stamp collectors have been given the 
it, they kind of fall under the academic fold where it's like yeah. well, as long as you're just kind of studying the history of it yep. and not sort of yeah. seeking to glorify it, that's fine. They didn't put the racism necessarily overtly on the stamps. It was more about, hey, how great is the guy with the moustache, that sort of stuff. Mm. But um, it's an interesting historical field, but f- there are very good reasons why people, like not so many people are into those stamps yeah. as, <laughs> as some others. You do see historical attitudes, we can say, in some of those olden stamps. Mm. Uh, what's probably fortunate is that a lot of the time back in those days they would just put the monarch on or the, or the president or whoever. They didn't They didn't get too illustrative yeah. sort of up until mm. the 1920s or thereabouts. Yeah. You can sort of trace the development of, say, colonisation through Africa, through the country's names and and Cyril Rhodes pops up in Rhodesia and uh, it's, it's not so much necessarily that the the racism or the bad stuff is illustrated, but you know those stamps are historical artefacts that were around at the time the bad stuff was going on. Mm, yeah. You could easily find letters that would make you just want to throw the letters in the bin. Like, and certainly even just reading postcards or fairly low-level stuff sent by normal people, you can certainly hear a lot about the attitudes of the time. Mm, yeah. Um, okay, so this is the last section of this article. After the ball... Many years ago, when the wife of the governor of Mauritius dispatched invitations to a ball, she little knew how valuable the stamps on them would become. The worth of the stamps, however, like most things, depends on supply and demand. And the fact that there are now only four of these stamps in existence sets their value at some thousands of pounds each. So do you you know those particular stamps? Lou Mauritius, still a classic. And, uh, <laughs> Do you have one? Sounds uh, like a cocktail. How much? <laughs> I think one one went to auction a couple of years ago, and it was still on the original envelope. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars mm, or pounds. Probably. That's like birthday and Christmas, don't you think, Celeste? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the sort of thing that I feel Celeste might have heard about because I would have got excited about it at the time. I might have tuned out when you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Celeste is actually the, – the idea of this podcast I've realised, and I haven't actually mentioned this on the podcast, but I probably will, is that Celeste has come up with a really good way to stop me talking about stamps all the other times. Yes. Because I, Condensed I now – Condensed into podcasts. I save it for the podcast. So, yeah, we have to find other things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> what a shame. It sounds like the plan is working. <laughs> and so what would be the most valuable stamp in the world now? Like what, what kind of – Oh, there's an old one from British Guyana, which is um, now or British Guinea, which is now Guyana, and that's held up. That sold a few years ago for eight million US dollars, Whoa. and it is held up as the the most expensive stamp. So would that be in a private collector? Uh, that was actually bought by a famous stamp firm called Stanley Gibbons in the UK. Mm. But up to that point, it was owned by kings and millionaires and that yeah. sort of thing. That's a really ugly stamp and there's a lot of questions now about whether it really deserves that, mm. that moniker. A Japanese one sold last week for about four or five million euro, which means that's Whoa, also that's up there in the ballpark. Wow. And it's the first time I think a Japanese stamp has threatened to it's, – it's a sign of just other parts of the world being interested in stamps yeah. apart from Europe and America. Mm. And so there are a couple of similarities um, mm. or there's a, there's a Swedish one that's sort of in the same world. What's tricky is sometimes they don't sell overtly. Sometimes they get swapped for stuff and you have to try and estimate – what was the value of the material that they got swapped for? Mm. So um, mm. luckily a world that I'll probably never have to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> and Celeste, now that you've heard all of those different ways that women can, in fact, get involved in the in the manly world of stamps, do you, do you, has it changed your mind at all? I should definitely be featured on a stamp. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's what I took away from that yeah. conversation. Yeah. yeah, that you should be allowed to design. Yeah, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, absolutely. And you've made the paper yourself. <laughs> yes. Done it all. That's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Now, okay, this is going to be the last article that we're going to read. I am bringing the tone down a little bit now, um, but I think I feel like you guys can handle it. Uh, Having spent some time with you, I'm not worried about this anymore. (laughs) I don't think I'll give you any ideas. Uh, This article was published in the Sydney Sun on the 27th of October 1946 and the headline is Double Divorce Stamps Out for Ladderless Marriage. Whoa. (gasps) Okay. Double divorce sounds exciting. Yeah. How does that even work? Wow. (laughs) It's the olden days. Um, (laughs) An Englishman (laughs) has been given a divorce from his wife and his wife from him all at the same time. Double divorce. (laughs) (laughs) Which is in many ways a game show. Yeah. (laughs) The best, to me now, that seems like the only way because you don't want to still be married to someone who's divorced you. (laughs) It could be awkward. (laughs) But... Of course, this is back in the day when they didn't have no-fault divorce mm. and one person had to petition to yep. divorce the other. And so this case, they've both said that they had a reason and the judges said, yes, they were both good reasons. So the details are the husband was Harry Finsberg of Uxbridge, Middlesex. Mr Justice Jones gave him a divorce because of his wife's adultery with Richard Taylor of Stoke Pogers. Pogers. I love that he's named as well. Yeah. Buckinghamshire. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the other thing. Name and shame. (laughs) It's good fun. The wife is Mrs Edith Finsberg, now living in Stoke Pogers. Oh, with Richard, obviously. (laughs) The judge gave her a divorce because her husband had been cruel said Mr Justice Jones, I could dismiss both petitions but it wouldn't be in the public interest to leave the parties married. Taylor was ordered to pay £150 damages. Uh, So that's the guy she was having an affair with. So she's had to pay the husband basically for having a go on his property. (laughs) Oh. They're good old days. Mm. Finsberg is a philatelist. This caused trouble in his home. Mm. (laughs) According to evidence, Finsberg, hot-tempered, hurled his breakfast onto the ceiling after his wife had complained of hearing too much about stamps. (laughs) (laughs) It's a dramatic start to the day. It is. And can you imagine if Jared did that every time? (laughs) Just wheat picks on the roof. (laughs) It'd look like my house. (laughs) I've got three kids. But I cannot imagine Jared uh, throwing his breakfast. He probably just no, he likes <laughs> breakfast too much. He's <laughs> yeah. not throwing it anyway. Yeah, I've gone to all the trouble of making my breakfast. Like, there must be times when you have thought, yeah, wrap it up, mate. I, 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 <laughs> I tell think you. Said. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I let you know. I, and yeah, I like do. that about you because you, you take it. You, yeah. <laughs> you take it into account that we can't always be talking about stamps. <laughs> <laughs> and, and can I make clear that we don't? <laughs> Sometimes I bang on about live music uh, or and how I don't go there anymore because I'm too busy at or the stamp pu- club. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the public transport system. The, You're quite good at that. I'm into the public transport system. So I'm into cool stuff as well. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> then the article goes on. Finsberg later wrote offering to give up stamps. They've been my curse. But his wife would not forgive him. Because she was banging Taylor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Really not interested in stamps at that yeah, point. Yeah, starting to think it maybe isn't about the stamp. No. <laughs> but they say, what puzzled court reporters is this? Taylor, the man with whom Mrs Finsberg committed adultery, 
is a philatelist too. <gasps> oh. Scandal. Twist at the end. And so, Celeste, uh, would you ever leave Jared for another philatelist? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps one who didn't talk about it as much. That's what I think might be <laughs> it's the your difference here. version of trading up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Some, of, some of the old fellas at Stamp Club aren't very talkative. Do you want me to introduce you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, mm. and they're likely to shuffle off a lot earlier than I am too, most of them. So, you know, you could come into a Stop handy... Stop you're tempting me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me about stamps. The, the podcast is great. I really hope you keep doing it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Don't get divorced. Keep it to that hour. <laughs> <laughs> And I, then I think you'll you'll do really well. Um, and how can they find the podcast? Where's it? Or and also your blog. Yeah, so it is a podcast, and it's called Stamps Aren't Cool. You'll find it on hopefully all your podcast channels. <laughs> and we also film ourselves recording it, and that's a good way to see the uh, the pictures. And we chuck in sometimes some funny animations. And so we're on YouTube under the Stamps Aren't Cool as well. It's connected to my stamp blog, which is punkphilatelist.com. And that's also where you can go when we put out a podcast. If you listen to the audio version, you can go to punkphilatelist.com to see the pictures that we were talking about. So, Which uh, is very relevant, I think. I think you do get more out of it when you look at the... When you see the picture. Yeah, that was one, the of, visual. one of Celeste's earlier concerns about the podcast idea was how are we, we going to actually talk <laughs> about something that you want to look at. So, yes, and, and you can find... We do the social media through my blog, Social Media. Mm-hmm. So you can find me as Punk Philatelist on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Celeste doesn't so much get into dealing with the social media feedback. Definitely not. I no. Just, <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't want to hear it. Thank you. <laughs> she doesn't want to spend her days talking to nerds. But, but of course, uh, the, it's as you mentioned earlier, it's actually it's geared not just towards people who collect stamps, but to people who maybe have a bit of a passing interest or people who don't collect stamps at all. We try to make it a little bit entertaining anyway. Yeah, it, it really is. Like, I mean, I am a bit inclined to just like people talking about things that they're interested in and, and history, and I really, really enjoyed it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Great. And rate and review their podcasts and our part and in those days as well, because apparently that's very helpful. Everyone says that at the end of podcasts. But thanks, guys. Thank, thank you so you. much for having us. <laughs>